Amen. Let's look in our Bibles in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in uh, verse 7 of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to share a message entitled, The Kingdom of God, The Kingdom of God. Uh, certainly one thing that we ought to be focused on as a Christian is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of these, this world are, are passing away, I'll tell you. And uh, things are corrupt, they're falling apart, and uh, we need to look to something that is secure and not only in heaven, but on this earth. And that's the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this matter, therefore, pray ye, our Father which is in heaven, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful to be in church this, this morning, uh, to be able to pray together, and certainly, Lord, be able to study the Word together. Uh, we've enjoyed singing songs of praise to you, and uh, certainly this special music was a blessing to our hearts. And uh, Lord, now we need the Holy Spirit to be our guide our teacher through the word that we might uh, have our, uh, really our minds and our hearts focused on thee. Uh, may we rejoice in the kingdom of God and uh, may we look uh, forward with an expecting heart, Lord, the, the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the coming of the kingdom of God. And so I pray that you'd bless us in a special way this morning as we study in Jesus' name, amen. Our text verse is verse 10 says, for thy kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, I don't think we think much about the kingdom of God. We know we're a part of the kingdom of God, and we know that Jesus is coming again to establish the kingdom of God, but we don't, in our daily life and how we deal with things, don't live really in the realm of the reality of the kingdom of God. Uh, we don't have a biblical worldview. Uh, many believers, many people that have faith in Christ may have an understanding what it means to go to heaven, uh, but we don't really grasp the reality of, of being able to uh, connect the reality of all that God is in reference to the real world in which we live in. I, I was shocked by a statistic the other day I saw, and uh, it said that 75% of people in America uh, are in agreement that they think we ought to have a nationalized law forcing people to wear a mask. And, and, you know, and I'm like, are we really that petty? Are we really that dependent upon the government? Are we really, I mean, I'm not against masks. I think you ought to wear a mask. I think you ought to do whatever is going to protect you from this virus. But the reality is, you want the government dictating those things to you? And, and no way, not me, I can tell you that. But, but I'm thinking how many people were Christians that were in that survey? 
And uh, our, we are more dependent, it seems, we're becoming more dependent upon earthly kingdoms than we are dependent upon the kingdom of God. And for the Christian, we need a biblical worldview. We need to view our life in light of the reality of the kingdom of God. In this model prayer that Jesus gives uh, and outlines for us, uh, he starts out with, with the concept of thy kingdom come. And that's not just looking for a futuristic type of existence, but a present impact in the believer's life. David had a passion for the kingdom of God. In Psalm, I'll just read this for you. In Psalm 145, verse 11 through 13, it says, They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom. Um, you don't hear much about the glory of the kingdom of God. David says, They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Thy dominion endures throughout all generations. And certainly David had a passion for the kingdom of God. Certainly he was one that was, was appointed and anointed of God to be king over Israel. He understood earthly things in reference to earthly kingdoms, but he looked beyond earthly kingdoms and looked to the kingdom of God. You know, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, had a passion for the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 and 21, she is asked Jesus if uh, when his kingdom was established, if her sons could sit on the right hand and on the left hand of the throne in his kingdom. And so she had a passion for the role that her sons would fulfill in the kingdom of God. Uh, Israel was to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation according to Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6. Kind of interesting, the whole uh, peace accord that just was signed. And uh, it's, it's just interesting that <laughs> the liberal media don't want to say anything about it, but that, that's a major step. And I haven't studied it all out yet. I'm just wondering how it fits in Bible prophecy as far as peace pacts being made with Israel. You know, you know just get off track here for a moment. Amen. But I'll get back. Don't worry. My mind kind of wanders like that sometimes. But uh, Israel was to be a kingdom of priests. They were to be a holy nation. The Christian, according to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, the Christian is supposed to have and fulfill a royal priesthood and be a holy nation. It's interesting that God requires that of Israel and he requires it of the church, of the Christian. And we are to be a royal priesthood unto our God, and we're to be a holy nation. And yet, oh, uh, I thought it was interesting, Dr. Miller preaching last week made mention of the fact that every moral issue, or I should say immoral issue of conduct that's not pleasing to God in the Word of God, we in America have approved it and made it legal in our country. And uh, we look at it and we say, how in the world... Can God bless us because we're no longer a holy nation? And it's, I think it's, the problem is that we have forgotten what God has imposed or impressed upon us that we're supposed to be as a Christian nation. Our passage our, uh, is a sample prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples. 
they are they uh, there are very specific principles all the way through this prayer. We're not going to cover all of them. There's no way we'll be able to do that. But I do want to focus in on the one thought that in verse 10, thy kingdom come. And uh, dealing with not just David's passion for an earthly kingdom, but he longed for a heavenly place. There is a futuristic place that is lived out in the present reality. In other words, we're going to heaven. We know we're going to go to heaven. We know the kingdom of God is in the future, but... There's a real-time experience right now. We're to live out those principles in reference to the kingdom of heaven. It's not to be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good, but it is living out a heavenly character in reference to an earthly place that is eternal for glory. <laughs> I mean, it's an amazing experience that we can uh, uh, experience as Christians. We can live in light of the realm of both worlds. Not only are we living for the future, but we're living the reality of the present uh, that the kingdom of God needs to be present. Uh, the ultimate reality, reality, of course, prophetically, is Jesus Christ coming again and establishing his millennial reign, his kingdom, on this earth. And so it culminates with that, and then we go into eternity. So the kingdom of heaven says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, as it is in heaven. When we talk about the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, we're not just talking about something that's abstract in the future, but we are talking about something that is tangible in the present. And he said that thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so thinking about the kingdom of God. First of all, I thought about this. Uh, the preeminence of the kingdom of heaven in chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, After this matter, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven. When you make that statement, Our Father which art in heaven, uh, you are declaring the preeminence of God in reference to everything the kingdom of heaven represents. That the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is not something that is made up by the whim of man or the intellect of man, but it is something that is designed by God himself, and he, because he designs it, then he is the one who is our heavenly father, and he is the one that manages and establishes everything. He has the preeminence. That's why Colossians speaks so much about Christ having the preeminence, and uh, because he is the king that sits on the throne of David, and he is the king that reigns over the uh, heavenly kingdom, and so he must have the preeminence. When I think about the kingdom, it identifies for us this matter of entering, entering into the kingdom. And uh, if you're going to have a kingdom, then people have to enter into the kingdom. We have border control. I should say lack of border control. Amen. And uh, we uh, people come into our country. They enter in. Uh, right now, it's difficult to travel to many countries around the world, many nations around the world because of COVID-19. They will not let you enter in. But when we talk about the kingdom of God, there is an entering in. John chapter 3, in verse 3, and I put these verses up just to, I have a lot of verses in this message. And I put them on there because they all identify the kingdom of God. And I wanted you to be able to see them. In John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And so there's this concept that when you talk about the kingdom of God, there is an entering in of the kingdom of God. And the, the people in the world today are so mixed up and so confused, they have no concept whatsoever of what it requires to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so we as believers have great opportunities right now to preach the gospel to people, to tell them how they can be born again. They may reject you, they may get offended by you, you know, sharing that with them, but the, the reality is there's only one way into the kingdom of God, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's being born again. In John chapter 3 and verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so entering into the kingdom of God is more than a physical experience. It is a spiritual encounter with God that changes the individual. And so they must be born again. They must be born of water and of the spirit of God. And it is this Holy Spirit of God that brings conviction on people's hearts that convicts them of sin and causes them to have a spirit of repentance so that they might call on God and be born again. Matthew chapter 19 in verse 24. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And there's so many things that we allow to block our faith in Christ to be able to be a part of his kingdom. It is, it is, listen, it is more important and it's so vitally important for people today not to so much connect with earthly kingdoms, but to connect with the kingdom of God. And uh, the kingdom of God is eternal and uh, it has an eternal uh, impact on him. And there are so many things that people allow to block them from making decisions for Christ. And because of that, they're not entering into God's kingdom. So our Father, which art in heaven, gives the preeminence of God over this concept of entering into his kingdom. But also, it's not only entering, but it is believing. There has to be faith, and people need to have faith to believe that Jesus Christ is real and that God offers eternal life, and that's through his Son. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And uh, so we need faith that ensures that we are in the kingdom of heaven. In uh, Mark chapter 1, in verse 15, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. That's the message that needs to go out. Uh, in the midst of this COVID-19 and all this that's going on, uh, people need to have faith in God and the God's kingdom that he has established. They're trying to find faith, trying to find hope through elect, uh, electoral process, and it's not going to work. Uh, they're trying to find hope through the politicians, and every day they come out with something new. Uh, it's so frustrating to try to deal with this whole concept of opening the school and all this, that, and the other, and every week... Almost every day they come out with some new change that, of the requirements. It just, it's, it's an, there's no, no settledness. There's no security. There's no hope as the, the world is consumed with looking to 
our president and looking to our governors and looking to our mayor, mayors as to try to find answers, and there is no answer there. And so it behooves the Christian to preach the gospel of Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is where people will be able to find hope uh, for the future in a nation or a kingdom that is eternal and not one that is just constantly changing and being more and more corrupt and literally is fading away. I don't know where we're going to be six months from now as a nation. And uh, I, everything that we are as a nation is fading away. And there is, there's, there is not much hope in looking politically what is going on. But there is hope in the Lord. And there is hope in believing that God is above man's uh, inabilities and God can establish his kingdom in the way and desire that he chooses to do so. Uh, my wife and I were watching a documentary on uh, Corey Tim, Tim Boone, right? I didn't want to get it wrong the other day. And it just, one of the things that gripped my heart was through all that suffering, going through the concentration camps and all this, that, and the other, and all that they went through is just the simple faith. The simple faith in the midst of suffering and death and everything else, just a simple faith to believe that God is real and finding peace in the midst of all the suffering and all the difficulties. And my, my, my thought process is, where is the believing? Where is the faith of the Christian in the midst of this COVID-19? So the preeminence of God, he is our Father which is in heaven. His preeminence establishes the entering into his kingdom and the faith that gives us the ability to believe the gospel so we're a part of that kingdom. And then I, I see not only the entering, the believing, but I see the removing. The removing. Uh, in in um, Mark chapter 9 and verse 47, it says, If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. It is still better for people to trust Christ as their Savior if it means they have to change everything that they are. If you have to give up everything that you have, it is still far better to trust Christ as your Savior. Because there is nothing that you may lose in this life that you're not going to gain in the culmination of fulfilling of the kingdom of God. And oftentimes we just think, this is what I got to hold on. I, I'll just, there's a girl I talked to years ago. I'll never forget her. I can, every time I think of her, I see her face and I see her sitting in my office. And just crying and weeping under conviction, wanting to know how to get saved. And then she told, told me, she said, does it mean that I have to give up my friends in order to be saved? And I said, no, you don't have to give up anything to be saved. You just need to repent in your heart and God will take care of everything else. And uh, the sad thing is that if you do get saved, your friends won't want anything to do with you. And uh, because they won't like the message that you're going to share with them. They won't like the lifestyle that you'll start living because Christ changes everything. And they're going to, they'll probably give up on you and walk away from you. And she told me this. I'll never forget a word. She told me, she said, I cannot give up my friends. 
I said, so your friends are more important than eternal life. I can't give up my friends. I have to have my friends. And the sad thing is, that girl walked out of my office weeping and crying. I've never heard from her since. I don't know if she ever got saved or not. I don't know. But if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. If thy friends hinder your living your Christian life, pluck it out. And it's hard for us to do it, but the reality is that's what the kingdom of heaven is. That's what the kingdom of God is. We, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 in Matthew is all in reference to, it's the Sermon on the Mount, but it is in reference to, those three chapters are in reference to kingdom living. They are in reference to how do you live in the kingdom of God. And he outlines it, and we're going to be doing the discussion panel this afternoon out of chapter 7 of Matthew, and discussing that, and just looking at this whole concept about how we live in the kingdom of God. I think Christians have forgot that we are not just pilgrims passing through, but we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And that means we live differently. So there's an entering, there's a believing, there's a removing and then in chapter 9 of Luke, there's the living, the living. And, uh, you know, sometimes people say, I don't want to get saved. That'd be so boring uh, being a Christian. I don't understand what kind of life you think it is being a Christian. I tell you what, I enjoy my life as a Christian. And it certainly is far from being boring, that's for sure. And uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 57 says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus saith unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So there's, there's this concept of the preeminence of God over how we live. Uh, you can't have it both ways. It just, you absolutely can't have it both ways. And you can't be in the life that you were in before and live a life of the kingdom of God in the life that you're living now. You can't have it both ways. That's why Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so, there is the preeminence of the life that we live, and that's in reference to fulfilling the kingdom of God. So we see preeminence, our Father which art in heaven. Then in chapter 6 of Matthew, we see the purity. Uh, chapter 6 in verse 9, it says, uh, our, uh, After this matter, pr therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's purity. Hallowed means holy. And so you see the purity. The purity is based on this, the kingdom character. In other words, what is the character traits of the kingdom of God? 
in uh, Hebrews 1, it says, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. And so the kingdom of God, uh, the, the uh, character of it is that it is a righteous kingdom. Uh, it, we do not, the Christian cannot try to live their life in light of the demands or the influences or the experiences that are in the world. Because you're not a part of the kingdom of the world anymore. You are a part of the kingdom of God. And so when you approach that, you understand the character trait is hallowed be thy name. The one who has preeminence is holy, so be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. And so the character of the kingdom. Also, remember this, there's a kingdom condemnation. In uh, Galatians, I have a verse I'll be putting up on the screen, but first of all, I want to look at Galatians chapter 5. If God's kingdom is uh, holy and it is righteous, then Galatians 5, Paul describes for us the condemnation in reference to the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, so they're revealed, they're explained. And he goes on, he says, they are manifest, which are these, adultery, uh, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. That all has to deal with immorality and uh, uh, relationships. And then idolatry and witchcraft and hatred and variance all has to deal with worship problems. Uh, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envyings and murders, drunkenness that deals with personal uh, types of actions and conduct. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we are uncomfortable with that verse. We do not like that verse because we want to be able to say, well, somebody can live their life however they please once they get saved because they're saved by grace, so it doesn't matter how they live. Uh, no, the Bible tells us that if you're consumed with this, these types of lifestyles, you're not a part of the kingdom of God. So the condemnation in reference to the kingdom of God is in reference to living in, in the lust and of the flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 and 10. I think I put that one up there. I did. It's a little small because it's long. It says, Know ye not that the righteous, the, I'm sorry, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, God's not going to sit up there with a balance with a scale and try to see if your good works outweighs your bad works. You're not going to live like a reprobate and reject God and refuse the kingdom of God and, and defile yourself upon defilement upon defilement and then think that God's going to accept you into his kingdom. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, 
nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. All this looting, thievery, abuse, murdering, those folks are going to hell. They're not a part of the kingdom of God. They might be a part of the kingdom here on this earth, but they're not a part of the kingdom of God. That's why they need the gospel and get saved so that they might be able to be delivered from hell. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 43 says, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. America has no guarantees to continue to have the blessings of God when we live as if we're not part of the kingdom of God. God will take the privileges that we have in America and remove them from us and give them to somebody else. So we have the kingdom of God, we have the kingdom character, we have the kingdom condemnation, and we have the kingdom confidence. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I figured that you might be falling asleep by now, so I'll make you turn over there to that one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 47. So the first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, so, such are they also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, uh, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. And so the king confidence is this. Just like we have been part of the earthy kingdoms, because we're born in this world, we're a part of this world, there is a heavenly experience that we receive Christ as our Savior and we become righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. The confidence is this. Just as much as we are earthy, we can be heavenly. And so the confidence is we can be a part of that. So we have the preeminence. We see the purity. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, we see the preaching. Notice in verse 10, it says, so, um, hallowed be thy name. In verse 9, then it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and so the preaching, what he's proclaiming in the prayer, identifying with what uh, we need God to do. Notice the final powerful words of Christ. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We are praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So we need you to forgive us our daily breads. 
We need you to forgive us of the trespasses that we have committed. And the powerful preaching of Christ, his final words before he said it on high, was in reference to the kingdom of God. I see the faithful preaching of Philip in Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Preaching Christ. Philip was faithful to preaching Christ. And preaching Christ in reference to the kingdom of God. People need to know there's another kingdom that they're a part of or can be a part of. And they need to have uh, that revealed to them. And then I see a forceful presentation of the Apostle Paul in this matter of preaching. And people say, I don't want to be too, too uh, direct. I don't want to be too forceful. I don't want to push people. Uh, well, I'd rather push somebody in hev into heaven than let them fall into hell. Forceful presentation of Paul in Acts chapter 19 and verse 8 says, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And we do understand that being a Christian or having faith in Christ is more than praying a prayer and then just go out and living as we please. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you're entering into his kingdom. And as a citizen of his kingdom, there is a liability that comes with it. There is responsibility that comes with it, that we are to live our life for his glory. So there's the preaching. Then he finishes up the prayer. There's the prospect in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 37. Lead us not into temptation. That's a prospect. This is what my expectations are. Don't lead me into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive also, uh, also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The prospect is simply this, an individual commitment. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is a resolve in the per person who is praying. There is a resolve that his kingdom, in his kingdom is power and there is glory. There is a ident uh, individual commitment. Matthew, and I'm sorry, Luke chapter 17 and verse 20 says, And when he was uh, demanded of, of Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That's an amazing statement because they're wanting to see a physical, tangible kingdom. And he says, well, wait a minute, the kingdom of God is in you. Now, the world, the only way they're going to be able to perceive or, or comprehend or be able to witness the kingdom of God is how is the kingdom of God manifested in you? Because the kingdom of God is in us. And so that requires an individual commitment, every one of us. It's not just, okay, preacher, you preach, and man, they'll get right with God. 
No, it's every believer lives their life proclaiming the truths of the kingdom of God and they'll come and trust Christ as their Savior. Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 14 and 15, But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. So the kingdom of God, individual commitment. I see not only is it an individual commitment, but it is a Holy Ghost endowment. And notice in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What we need is some old-fashioned Holy Ghost filling of believers. That where we are so sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life that we cannot refuse to speak to someone. And uh, I, I think we've lost that. We've lost that fire of the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and the, this kingdom of God is not what you're eating, is not what you're drinking, is not what you're living in this world. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy that is in the Holy Ghost. And so we need to be spiritual people to the Holy Ghost and do men. First uh, Corinthians chapter four and verse twenty: For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And so the spirit of God should be so endued upon us that there is a power that emulates from us. And uh, I remember a friend of mine years ago, and we go soul winning together and everything. That guy, I'll tell you, he had the power of the Holy Spirit upon him. I mean, he would talk to somebody, and they were under conviction. I mean, I, I took him out to buy, to buy him a pair of shoes, and I turned around, and he had the shoe salesman on his knees in the middle of the store praying and asking the Lord to save him. I mean, he had the power of God upon him. That doesn't come by man's abilities. That comes by a move of God in the hearts of believers fulfilling the kingdom of God. And then there's an eternal, it's the last one, eternal fulfillment. So this prospect of the kingdom that is presented in Matthew chapter 6 is not just confronting me about my individual commitment, and, it, and it's not just reminding me that I need the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but it is confirming for me that what I'm experiencing is eternal. In Luke chapter 22, verse 16, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, I'm always amazed at what he said. In Luke 22, 16, he says, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he reminded them that, wait a minute, I'm coming again. I'm establishing my kingdom, and I'm not eating this bread with you again until my kingdom is established. So it's an eternal fulfillment. In Luke twenty-two eighteen, 18, he says the same thing in, in reference to the fruit. 
of the vine. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And so Jesus is very specific here. The word fruit of the vine is not the Greek word oinos, where we get the Greek word for wine. It literally is in reference to the natural fruit, juice of the vine, off the vine. And uh, so he is not using an alcoholic beverage to be able to institute the Lord's Supper. The key is this. There is an eternal fulfillment of what Christ did for us on Calvary, and he confirms that through the communion or the Lord's Supper that he's given. So the kingdom of God, thy kingdom come. That's, that's what's needed in our world. We need that type of kingdom living to be existed in our world because that is what brings conviction. How is that going to take place? It's going to require of every one of us as believers in Christ to live our life as we're part of the kingdom of God in the world that we live in. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. My Father, I come to you. I thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live out our life uh, as we really are, part of the kingdom of God. And that you might fulfill that um, desire in our hearts. As we were praying, I'd like for you just to take some more time and just let's take a couple of minutes and pray in reference to the kingdom of God. Let's pray in reference to what the Lord revealed to us on how we ought to pray. And it might be good for us just to pray that prayer. My Father, I'm thankful, I am so thankful uh, that we know that you are aware of who we are and where we are and what we're going through. Our longing, our desire is like David, that we long for the kingdom of God to be manifest and fulfilled in the world in which we live. So Lord, help us to follow the leadership of Christ's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and living out that kingdom to the fullness in the presence of a world that is lost. I pray, God, you just help us to be faithful and true witness of these things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.